I suppose the last thing that uh, I would say about that is with great meme comes great response. I can't speak. The last thing I would say about that is with great meme comes great responsibility. So using this drill knowledge, you know, I would say use it responsibly. I wouldn't say that. Hello, and welcome back to the Slums Cast. As always, I am your host, Neuropanzer, the M. Night Shyamalan of Netrunner. And I'm Josh, still Netrunner's okayest player. This is a podcast about genuinely trying and hilariously failing to be good at Netrunner. This podcast is not going to make you better at Netrunner, and it also will not make you a better person. Today, we are joined by a special guest. Josh, do you want to introduce our guest? Uh, yes, I would like to introduce him. He's the master of ceremonies, the master of... Netrunner alternative formats, well, one of the masters, it's Spags. I'm honored to be invited down into the slums. Be prepared. It's kind of nasty down here. It is, by definition. All one right. beauty of being down in the filth, you have nowhere to go but up. <laughs> we have uh, something for that later, actually. I don't know. That actually makes me very hopeful about the rest of my life, strangely. <laughs> this is not supposed to make you a better person, remember. I didn't say it was going to make me better. It's just making me more hopeful. If we need to, we can not revisit that in future episodes. Let's go ahead and start with the intro questions. One of the things that you know about Spags, if you have ever played against Spags in person, is that Spags is a big fan of custom playmats. My question, and this is for the group, is the following. What is the best custom Netrunner playmat you've ever seen? Oof. There have been a few good ones out there for sure. Most worlds, I'd like to bring some kind of custom play mat because, you know, the FFG ones are just boring and standalone. That, that is a great question. I'm trying to think back now. But, you know, honestly, the uh, the white one, that the, honestly, I, I, I hate to bring him up, but he actually had a great one when he brought that salt one. Was that the one he had everyone sign? I mean, I got to give him credit. That was a fun idea. It wasn't the best one I've ever seen, but the concept and the personality behind it were fun. Uh, I'm trying to think through some other ones. So over the years, there have been a number of great ones, though, for sure. I think it was Dragoon had the same concept, kind of the map that everyone signed, the, uh, the shit show map, as we ended up calling it. That's just a fantastic one because of all of the community memes that ended up getting written on it. <laughs> and even a spiritual successor to your cast, uh, the Scoops cast one. I always loved their playmat. I thought that was a fun one. Do you remember that one? Eric Kaoli had. It was basically like a, a take on the old Raisin brand one of two scoops of raisins. Uh, That's good shit, yeah. Honestly, one of my favorites is actually one of yours. The lock emoji, clown face emoji, up emoji. That one's so good. Yeah, that's definitely it's mine. Simple. I still have it. I feel bad about that one in retrospect because the person featured, I was, you know, angry at the time, I suppose, like a lot of us were. But um, we came around. We definitely... I. I came to grips with myself on it and, you know, quote, forgave him. And uh, it's more my fault than anything. But yeah, it turns out he was a, he's a really cool dude. So uh, I do feel bad about that, Matt, in retrospect. But at the time, yeah, it's it was a classic. That's one of mine, I think, honestly. I suppose I can't call out my own mats because I'd be kind of jerking myself off. But um, <laughs> I really like the art that Kisra did for the Space Turtle. And our community really liked that art as well. We did her turtles as participation prizes one year. You'd get a playset, And we decided to contact her to see if we could do that on a mat. And she actually redid the art so that it was mat size for us and let us do that. So if you look at one of those, a picture of one of those, or if you have one, you'll notice that the art is slightly different than the actual card. Ooh. And I really enjoyed putting like the ETR mats together as well. Spags, you would appreciate this. I actually have a, another version of that ETR mat, and I've got layers. And if I turn on one of the layers, there's like a handwritten red pen notation under the ETR that says, uh, and the run is a crutch. Anytime um, you can fit a daemon meme into something, I think that's always good. Although I think with the kids nowadays... They probably don't remember a lot of the same and stuff, don't you think? I don't know, but us old heads, we definitely get that. For community-created play mats, let's see. I think I just got to go with Lock Clown Up. I know, again, that there's some bad feels to that mat. It's just so beautiful, and it's filled with three emojis. And, like, how can you beat that? Hold on. I know how you can beat that. Four emojis. 
the four mega party of the apocalypse, which is one of pants's actually. Indeed it is. That Matt, honestly, I can't tell you where that Matt came from. I just woke up one day and it was on my computer in Photoshop. It probably says something. I don't know. Like there's probably nothing to worry about. I don't think I know this Matt, to be honest. You know the the emoji mega party, correct? Yeah, yeah. Four frames from that. So for our viewers who are viewers, for our listeners who probably are not familiar with the emoji mega party unless they're on Slack, which means that all of them probably are familiar with the emoji mega party. It is a party parrot with maw as a face with a thinking eggplant sticking out of the mouth and an alarm on top of its head and it is making the party parrot motion. I took four individual frames of that, put them on four differently colored Photoshop images of the same horse. Uh, there's a quote on the mat, like from- Oh, Rome. I think this is, now it's starting to come back to me. I think I do remember this. This is, was this from a year of worlds you brought? From Magnum Opus actually. Yeah, I think I think I remember. Yeah, Magnum Opus was sick. There was a lot of fun that year. Memes and otherwise, I got to come out here. You know, uh, my channel, my team, we, are, we call ourselves anti- and we're anti a lot of things. Mostly we're anti the general channel on Slack. And certain players are, you know, our focus as well. But I got to say here, I'm sorry. I'm kind of anti-mega party. I don't like the party parrot. Maybe it's that. I just hate that party parrot emoji. And it's bled over. I'm anti-mega party. I'm, I have to apologize if, they, if that's going to cut the feed. I mean, so be it. Cut the feed! Honestly, we probably should just cut the feed more times than we do to be safe. Hatred of Mega Party is something that you don't have to apologize to us for that when Mega Party eventually comes and destroys the world. That was going to happen anyway. So honestly, it probably just has no impact on the general course of history. Okay, that's fair. I do actually have one more. And I was reminded of it by the four Mega Party of the Apocalypse. You have another one that's really great, which is a drill one, the Ass of God playmat. Yeah. Yes, yes, that is an all-timer. I still use it to this day. <laughs> oh my God. It never has a drill been so completely matched by the art in such a wonderful way. My favorite part of the Ass of God mat is you can find relatively high-res images of a fair amount of Netrunner art. Alpha and Omega are exceptions. You can't find high-res images of those. I had to take the low-res images, put them into a neural net to upscale them in size because I needed to send a 25 by 15 image to whatever company I was making the map through. Exactly. Although, you know, I think aesthetically it would be fitting to have something low-res stretched out of aspect ratio and just completely terrible for drill. You know, I think that's fitting. That would have been fair. I just oh, don't shit. think there's enough drill out there, right? I mean, I do feel like even though we have drill runner, I'm a, there was a dearth of drill content like that. Like, I kind of regret not making a drill runner map, although in retrospect now, like if I had to make one right now, I think that triptych of the um, the three campaigns that we came up with, like, I think that would make a great map. That's a good one, yeah. There are a couple that would just be fantastic, I think, having... I will face God and walk backwards into hell, Matt. Yeah, yeah. When you have a deck that's based on turtle or a dog deck or something would be fantastic. <laughs> the one with like the hyperdriver banning that's like, I will never do it for the clicks. Have that, Matt, when you're playing cold ones. <laughs> uh, the Akshara Serene, Matt. Just because the image is so wonderfully distorted. That's a CTZ one, isn't it? That is a CTZ, Matt. And I asked him once, what happened here? How did you get this, Matt? And he's like, I don't know, tried to do something else to the image of Akshara Serene, and this is what happened. And obviously, we had to go with this. I had to go with this. Had it was a happy little accident, and then he just kept it. I remember when it was this Slack avatar for a while, I'm like, what is going on here? And then he told the story, and I saw the mats. And yeah, they've always done some great mats as far as like non-meme, but like cool mats. I always thought the San Francisco ones every year were great for worlds. I do have a follow-up question here. If that isn't your favorite of the mats that you've made, what is your favorite of the mats that you've made? Yeah, we made a few, and they were usually um, more for fun, and a lot of them weren't even Netrunner related, much like a lot of the cosplay I used to do at Worlds and stuff, right? So, um, I, I mean, one of them was the Push Your Luck mat, which I always thought was great as far as a Netrunner one, because that was never going to make it on, I don't know why, a fantastic piece of art, and I just made it. 
And then eventually I gave it to Joe Shop, and I forget why. I think because he liked it. And then I love the culmination where I make, do you remember this, where it ended up a magnum opus? There was a push your luck team. Yeah. There was a team all playing push your luck decks. And basically they were trying to do as much money as possible with push your luck. And I said to Joe, you got to give him that map. He had it on him and he handed it to him. And Joe won Worlds that year. So I think I just recently watched my family, the Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants. This is the brotherhood of the traveling push your luck. And I love where that ended up. And another classic, if we're going back through mine, was um, the Macho Man Randy Savage, Elbow Dropping Jesus. Took it to Worlds 2014 just because whatever. I think I took it to Gen Con earlier that year and Zach Cavus and people saw it like, it's just an eye catcher, right? Like, who's this weirdo? Like, and that map was just a nice um, icebreaker. No pun intended. Do you think that maybe handing over the push your luck mat was Joe making his push your luck bet? I, yeah, I think perhaps, you know, maybe unintentionally. I actually played that uh, team as well, uh, first round. How did that go? We did pretty good, actually. We started to fall off near the end of the tournament. We were going to try hard, but the best Minnesota players were on this guy's team. Oh, yes. Yeah. And one of them was on my team. Raja is good enough to count for multiple players. Best <laughs> Minnesota players. Comment stands. It's not really just about playmats when it comes to the Netrunner swag. There's Netrunner swag of all sorts, and you are famous for many a swag, many a paraphernalia. There's one in particular that's very famous that we'll get into later. But before we talk about dice and other things, do you have any favorite pieces of other Netrunner swag that you've seen throughout the years? Well, we can, if you want to go back, I, I can regale you with the, the tales if you never heard of the plugged in tour. If you want to go on the Wayback Machine. Oh, hit us. Do you remember the plugged in tour, right? I vaguely, I started like right after that wrapped up. So, fall of 2013, before Worlds. I was yeah. about three and a half years away from knowing that Netrunner existed at that point. Yeah, they did something cool. I think Spin maybe had just hit. I think Jackson Howard had just hit. The first pack came out at Gen Con that year. They just did something cool that they'll never do again. They flew the designers and other FMG employees around the country to do like weekend tours in an area. And you'd show up, you'd play a tournament, you'd play them in some pre-constructed decks where they were scooping out new cards in them, right? So that was cool. Anyhow, they had some cool swag. They had some uh, messenger bags with art on it and stuff like that, play mats. And they had three of them in Wisconsin in one weekend. And I'm like, I'm going to all three of these. And it was the same employees at each that we drove around. And first and second got these messenger bags. And we I won them at the first two. And when we rolled them to the third one, some of my other friends were there. And I roll in with these bags hanging around my neck, like two chains. I'm like, two bags. We took first, second, and third. And afterwards, we're talking about it. And someone overheard us and basically started a Reddit threat calling us assholes for just scooping up all the prizes. Because we talked about we were just selling them on eBay to make money to pay for going to Worlds and stuff. So that was one. And basically we called that guy out. We were calm and we ended up becoming friends with him. But it was funny that like swag led to this early beef in the game because we supposedly were prize pigs taking up all the swag. So that was an early one. Some of my other favorite actually was from Worlds 2019. I didn't go. And this was fan-made swag. Joe Shup, someone gave him something. We, we helped Joe go to Worlds 2019. And he brought me back a present from someone from Germany. And it was a fan-made set of Twin Peaks-themed cards. They are beautiful. I used them once in the wild, I think, uh, at the U.S. Nats in San Francisco, fall of 2019. And uh, there were some beauts. Uh, I should definitely share those, although I've kind of been told to keep them on the DL for fear of, although why someone in Germany would be caring about copyright, I don't know. <laughs> I hate to go back to something that you're anti, but I have a set of quick trackers from Alexis of Mega Party. I've gotten to the point where I don't actually use quick trackers anymore, but I put them out there for the intimidation factor. <laughs> I'm in the same boat. Like I never really needed them, but when I started getting some, I was just more for the aesthetic. You know, I never use them. You just lay them out as part of your accoutrement. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's generally how click trackers end up for uh, myself as well. I have a couple tokens with the shape of Mars on them that are designed to be MCA austerity policy tokens. <laughs> yeah, the, the super highly specific use. Only use it for this card or you have betrayed the purpose of this token. Like we had femme tokens like that. I wish we had more of that in the game. Like 
on our head, it's on a dad, like a please don't choke anyone token, you know? A please a, don't choke anyone token. Do you know this card? I think no. there's, a, there's a card called please don't choke anyone, and it shows a guy choking someone, and it's basically, it, it involves putting a please don't choke anyone token onto a card in the game. <laughs> if I remember correctly, mechanically, like it replaces meat damage and it gives you clicks or something. I think so, yeah. yeah. Oh, fuck. I love ONR with some of these fucking cards, man. And people just throw them out every once in a while, and I'm like, that's a fucking card? So it is FFG official, but the FEM token you were talking about, my favorite part about that FEM token is it's like the exact right size to cover up the art. Think loaf tokens. You know, I don't know who made those up there. I always thought those were pretty sick, though. But uh, actually me. No, I know. I know. <laughs> Actually, that's one of my answers for this. Like, except I don't use them as you intended, which is, I think, as click trackers. That's what they were originally intended for, yeah. Yeah, so instead I use them as <clears throat> bread pub. I like about those, they, they were useful for just about anything. That's what I like. You could just throw them out wherever you wanted to, you know, virus token, whatever you want to do, fem token. Absolutely, and I think the intimidation of a thinking bread is is fairly high fairly high one of my favorite things about the finkleaf click trackers was the year that i made them 2017 was a year of ci as years often are in particular that was a year that brain rewiring was a very common combo came in saying like oh you know a pack of four of them that's kind of like the increment that i sell them in and people were like no no, no i need i need at least seven because that's my normal combo turn <laughs> <laughs> I think there was a video of Robot Mascot, Adam Delcano, on stream with like 13 thinking loaves of bread out there because he had had an extremely complicated combo that turn. I remember this year. Yeah, he was on my uh, King of Servers team that year. Oh, you remember him? He, he you remember. That other guy from Minnesota, whatever, about that person. Yeah. That was a very cursed King of Servers team, to be yeah. fair. We were run the jank, and we played Apex, Sunny, Adam, and Professor on our runner side. <gasps> and for our corpse side, they were all kill decks. But they were all trying to be at least a little bit competitive. And I was the one that was piloting the CI brain rewiring, except I did a shitty version of it that tried to combine all three of the CI combo decks. So there were three distinct combo decks. There was the straight up brain rewire combo. There was a brain rewire combo with contract killer. And then there was hard hitting news boom in this same sort of shell. My whole thought was like you could draw fast enough that you draw your entire deck and just combo off with whatever fit. Turns out you have to combo off before they're about to win, like before you've drawn like a third of your deck. <laughs> if you're not focused on one combo, three combo pieces for three combos would be at the bottom of the deck. So it was a slums call. That's not the point though. Let's go back to uh, to Adam here. He recognized that. And so he saw my performance and he's like, no, this is, this is garbage. So what he tried to do is based on our opponents that we faced, he reverse engineered one of the good versions of the CI rewire. And that's, I think, why he was able to at least make it on stream. So I did have another answer to this question. Man, Spags, everything relates back to King of Servers. We do have to thank you for hosting those events. Those were great ideas. A wonderful highlight of Worlds every year. But one year, there was another notable team, the Artist Colony. There was a person who I don't think they make things for Netrunner anymore, Ray2Jules. Etsy, and she took pack art and stuff and made them into click trackers, tie clips, medallions. I really love her swag. I've got a bunch of the keychains, four sets of the click trackers. And even if I don't use them, I really do like them just up in the corner of the mat as extra art because they're really well done. For anyone not familiar, they're like, they look like they're encased in crystal. Yeah, they have these little glass pieces that they glued the art to the back. So it kind of like blows up a little and reflects through. And yeah, they, they, those are solid. I had a number of those. I'd buy them for prize support. I just bought them for fun. Same thing. I just put them out because like they were cool art. I had the Omar was one of my favorites because <laughs> it was just kind of a gross blow up of his face with a bandaid on. And uh, same thing. I put them out there. I never use them for, rarely use them for click trackers. I did use them that year, 2017, because I kept forgetting about MCA. That was when MCA first hit hard. And I'm like, I had to remember the turns I ate have less clicks, you know, to keep track of. But yeah, those are fantastic pieces of sweat. So of course, something that we alluded to earlier, but haven't talked about yet, the piece de resistance, if you will, and RPC dice. Let's talk. 
I love them. The fact that you actually have these dice that have weight to them is so huge. Because I used to, back when I played Magic Gathering, I used to use dice for counters. And the problem with plastic die as a counter, any slight jostle of the table and suddenly I have no idea how many plus one plus one counters were on this thing. It takes a nuclear explosion to move an ANRPC die. Compared to like Simon Moon, who had the stones to keep track of things, his money with a giant plastic, I assume flimsy, D20, like the same thing, just the slightest Dan Argenio slam on the table. And that thing is, is rolled away. And now you just guess what you had. You're right. I mean, that is one beauty of the ANRPC dice. I do have, as long as I'm on here with you, I do have some contention. Yeah. You famously will always note not meant for randomization trademarks. Somehow you trademark that. I have to contend that a little. You know what? If you roll a die like normally, not just the typical slide it out of your hand, then it won't roll. Shake it up, put it in a cup if you have to, a Yahtzee cup, throw it down on the table. I've done this about a thousand times. They randomize a little better than you think. They're not completely loaded, I would say. So, Neuropanzer, I, I just want to take it a task on this. You've been besmirching <laughs> the value of them, and luckily... They have more value than just randomization, but uh, you know, defend yourself. Holy shit, I didn't expect an ambush. The beef zone. <laughs> <laughs> this beef has been percolating. Every time I see you say that, you know, it's just added up. And now we've had a thousand straws. <laughs> on the camel's back here and i've never been able to address it because you know i didn't think it was worth it but now that we're in the squared circle here it's time <laughs> to be completely clear i use them for randomization okay okay <laughs> a little hypocrisy here i get it every message that you type in slack is serious i mean almost 100 percent. yes <laughs> <laughs> it's the internet everything should be taken at face value and 100 percent truth so anrpc dice though yes is you're starting up ANRPC before we had all these great artists out there, it was really like working in the desert, right? Like, what are we going to get for cool stuff to give to people? And especially, what are we going to give that's different than FFG? I always like the idea of this. Like, can we find some chromed out cool stuff, cyber, cyber stuff? Although, like, it's funny on one hand, like in the future, they wouldn't have like physical crap like that. But then you play Cyberpunk 2077 and everyone's still using monitors and handing drives around. So I guess, yeah, physical media is still cool. So yeah, but we found these, I found these chromed out dice, worked through Alibaba, worked through someone in China, got them down the mold. The initial mold cost them like $400. But after that, they got to a point where basically, truth be told, they helped me. They basically paid for my world's trip every year by running KOS and selling dice, you know? So that was a cool uh, thing, but I think it was a mutual benefit, right? I think everyone generally loved them. They made them on the show Billions, right? There was a close up at one point of the metal dice. I would say that they're one of the most recognizable pieces of Netrunner swag. I mean, you even see people bragging about having a rare color of them. I don't even know what colors these are. I, don't, I have like maybe four myself because those were the ones that were there the years that I was at KOS. Traded away my yellows, which I think was year one. Ooh. That was year one. So the year one was 2015. We were in a Knights of Columbus, very tight. And uh, we were just trying it out. I didn't know. So I just had one color then, the yellow. And I think Dragoon King still has all the colors. But then... Every year after that, I tried to do two colors. Maybe the final year, I did three, you know, just to really go ham. Yeah, I think there ended up being probably about eight colors total, seven or eight. If you gather them and you put them into the Infinity Gauntlet, I think you can uh, you can snap <laughs> Hacktivist Meeting out of existence. <laughs> Nisei already did that. Well, they must have been playing back in 2015 then. We're going to move on, and we're actually going to talk about some additional contributions that you've made to the game. Please, talk about me more. That's what I, I need to hear. I, if anything, I do love the, my ego to be assuaged here. This segment is going to be... Why would you do that? Before we actually get into the actual question, I have to thank you for putting this together and whoever else contributed to it as well. Now, I'm not going to pretend I'm like the most oppressed person, but I'm a bi guy and there is a huge community in Netrunner of queer folk, all queers of many colors, and there's people of color in our community as well. So what we're talking about is the ANRPC Code of Conduct. For those that don't know, the dice had the ANRPC logo on them, and the ANRPC started out as Android Netrunner Pro Circuit. It was a series of tournaments around the world that was designed to provide an alternative path to worlds. And its first year, it was very, very popular. 
lots of regions around the world. Mostly North America, but yeah, there were some other ones, UK, I think maybe Australia. So like a huge series of tournaments. And basically, you guys realized very quickly that you needed some sort of control on what people were doing on the floor and how they were interacting with each other. Because a lot of these tournaments were actually pretty big that year. Our question here on why would you do that is when you put together the code of conduct, you made it very inclusive, it looks like, intentionally. And we're just wondering what was the thought process behind it? What was the genesis of it? And what was important about getting it out for you guys? Now, ANRPC, you know, maybe it ended as more just me <laughs> running KOS, but it started off, I mean, it was definitely a group of us. And truth be told, I don't think I had a huge hand in that, like I said, because we had a variety of people working on things. But yeah, the initially, the, the genesis of it was, I think, was it Gen Con 2014? The winner of that was a Canadian, and they couldn't make it to Worlds, which is ridiculous. It was like the largest non-Worlds tournament that year. And, you know, FFG was paying for all these other ones to go and they couldn't make it due to cost. And FFG was only giving like the person a free badge. And we're like, that's bullshit. So the next year we kind of started that as the idea of like, we're going to send people to Worlds, right? And the goal that was like basically that pay for your hotel, lodging, maybe flight, whatever. But the code of conduct, I remember also coming out of, like you said, these tournaments are getting larger. Magic and other games, they would have floor rules and codes of conduct and things of the sort, like any professional organized play should have, right? And the fact that FFG was doing none of that, in retrospect, I empathize because they had like two people doing OP for like all of their games, which is just insane. Like compared to like me saying now where you have 150 volunteers running this whole organization, of course they should be blowing out FFG. You know, it's like the amount of hours total that people are putting into it uh, are huge. So I think Dan Dargenio was one of the ones who really helped push that code of conduct along with a few others. And the idea is, yeah, we just want some rules at our tournaments, right? We want them to be fun spaces, safe spaces for people. Like, what if someone gets belligerent or out of hand? We wanted something to point to that person and be like, this is kind of what you signed up for with us. We were trying to push FFG to send more people to Worlds and pay for them. And the same with this. We were trying to, like, force FFG's hands, if you will, by instituting some floor rules, which didn't exist. And uh, if we help people out with inclusivity, then that's just a nice side effect, I think, of it. That's excellent. So I guess my question would be, your goal with the Code of Conduct, was it to make sure that these spaces were comfortable as possible for any type of person that would show up? Yeah, I think that definitely was part of it, for sure. You know, the game was getting bigger, and there were a few tryhards coming into it, I think, from uh, another game that shall not be named. They're coming in with this mentality of win at all costs, and sometimes behaviorally that will, you know, affect things. And we just didn't want the turns to become a shit show, you know, especially since we're running them, you know, that was a thing too, right? We're trying to put the player's best face forward. Yeah. And inclusivity being part of that helped. And I think just making it the tournament environment, what it should be fun and friendly for everyone. Right. And yet being competitive, you know, the pro name scared people off. Eventually we'd be meet at the player's circuit, but that was just more to like, I don't know, assuage people's, fears of it or whatever they really were just like fun turn they were like no different than another tournament any other tournament even though sometimes there was money literally put on the mat at the end that was more for fun like a poker game you know, we would do i know that the anrpc did these invitational tournaments but i think mm -hmm. if there is an open tournament that leads into those I wasn't personally put off by calling it pro because it didn't <laughs> seem like you had to really have any skills to sign up for one of the open tournaments. You just had to show up with the deck. We just um, called it pro because I think there's the money involved, although that was more towards going towards the worlds. But if you're playing a competitive game, they're going to be hurt feelings. I mean, you know what? There's one winner. Let's face it, an invitation. Here's what it was. Orbital, it was because we had them scattered around a geographical region. Mm -hmm. Like the top three at each of these smaller tournaments qualified for the final tournament. And then usually we had a last chance tournament that same weekend of, and people would come and play in it who were already qualified. And then if, if they were up there, we passed down. So you had another chance to get in. So really, there were a ton of chances. And also, think of a regular tournament, there's a cut, right? The cut is an invitation, right? Like you did well enough to make, I mean, I don't know what, I don't know what to tell people. Like if you're mad about that, it's kind of crazy for me to think about actual money being on the line in a Netrunner tournament. At the point where I started playing, I think it was mostly 
you were playing for mouse pads. <laughs> the fact that there ever was an ability to win money from Netrunner seems pretty cool to me. And I think the KOS kind of played into that. Like, I remember the first year they won by like one win. Jens' team. And I remember he was shocked there was money. He's like, wait, there's money for this? Or someone on the team was, or maybe Elad, you know? So it was kind of like, I think it's cool. It's not like we're playing for a million dollars. This is just helping to defray your travel costs a little, right? And we were talking about that first cost in Slack. Correct me if I'm wrong. He played in Apex that year, didn't he? I believe so. And guess what? He, he ruined fools because... KOS works, you know, best first best on each team. He was generally then at the bottom. And I remember Jesse Vandover, I think, had to play against him since everyone had to play a court, a different court, that PE or Jinteki was usually at the bottom and they just could not, once the heartbeat hit the table, that was it. And Jesse's like, this sucks. You know, like, so he, <laughs> he basically swept up and cleaned up the trash at the bottom of every KOS team. And that's one reason that they won. That's why that format is great, though, is because you get these decks that are not going to see play whatsoever in, in like constructed environment because you have to represent all the factions. So it's like if Wayland is garbage, yes. well, it doesn't matter. You still have to put a Wayland deck together. Some people like leaned into the garbage as well. Remember, there was almost like a CI combo Wayland deck. I think it was the next year, maybe. Aaron Andrews played it on, I think, a winning team. I don't even remember what that deck did. I just know that it comboed out. It was a fantastic deck. It was from Niles. He was a meta mate of Jesse Vandover and Ben Mason. And he dropped out of the game. He made World's Top 16, 2013, and 2014. And he was just a wild deck builder. Aaron Andrews always said, the great thing of King of Servers, it was the fairest meta ever. Because remember, Waylon was trash up till like 2018, maybe 2019. And he goes, he loved KOS because... It was a forced meta, right? It was like equal representation. So like Waylon sucked, but someone had to play it. You know, and you saw some crazy stuff coming out of there. He always took Waylon too. And the fact they took second that year and then first the next two years was impressive. Then, the, you know, I think it was the next year at KOS, he went 5-0 and with a Val deck that didn't break a single subroutine. Blackmail Apocalypse. Ooh. Oh, Jesus. He goes, I wish I took a photo of everyone's face when it, when they realized what was going down. Like poor Noah McKee, rest in peace. He, uh, Aaron would be like, Papa Didos, run the one, you know, run the HQ that had ice on it. And he's just like, no res. And it's like, get in. Blackmail the three ice R&D. Okay, cool. Run archives. No! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the opponent would just start screaming when they realized the APOC was coming and the game was basically going to end. Oh, oh, oh no! I think we've digressed a bit but back to the point we were originally on personally i'm very glad that inclusivity was in the code of conduct then and is in the code of conduct now because really anything else just feels like a brioche of the social contract uh having it in writing i think was a big deal don't you think like having something to look at and yeah i love what nisei's done in that regard they've done a lot of great things and I'd like to think maybe we were, you're right, it was, I never thought of that, Josh, the inclusivity part of it, but maybe I'd like to think some of the ANRPC stuff, like the custom prizes, code of conduct and the thing has lived on. Maybe Nisei, Nisei is like, you know, maybe the genesis of it has blossomed fully now under Nisei. Well, there was an article that talked about Nisei. It essentially said that Netrunner was taken over and is being squatted on by a bunch of queer anarchists. And I really like that. Yeah, I think that's true, but I think it's great. It fits the motif, you know, of the future. That's what I'd like. I'd like to think it'd be more of that. And I think even the FFG version has kind of pushed more of that idea than the dark cyberpunk version, right? Yeah, for sure. Okay, so we got to get back to what Pants said. You you may have missed it there, but there was a, a pun in the... Josh, text. I never say puns. What are you talking uh, about? There was no pun in that line. It's just time for baking up Thinkloves. Okay, yeah. so what are our Thinkloves today? ANRPC is an important part of Netrunner history, as we've talked about. Let's talk about Netrunner history. In particular, let's talk about Netrunner war stories. What's your favorite Netrunner tournament story? Netrunner tournament story? Oof. There are a lot of those, for sure. The Wayback Machine is just washing yeah. over me. You know, like I said, I've been playing since the get, man. This, this is over eight years of this. That's a lot to think about. Personally, one of my favorites is probably, was it 2015? Their Madison Regional. Aaron Andrews, Joe Shuck, and myself, we ended up taking first, second, and third. This is back when tournaments were big. Mm-hmm. And this was the looking for job inception, mm-hmm. if you remember this deck. Stephen Woolley, Team Covenant fame, he was in a group chat with Aaron and I, and he came up with that deck idea. And I said, you know what? I'm going to tweak it low. I'm going to pilot this monster. And it just was perfect for the meta. Eight up RP, 
basically reg-ass wizard deck running career fairs, you know, to push stuff out quick and clone ship parasite basically and ran rampant. And we took first, second, and third in this big tournament. And basically I think Aaron would have won, but I took a knee to him in the finals because we just were wanted to get the hell out of there and get some food and drink. So we have a photo I love of the three of us and it's just representative of that group. I just love those guys. I love the group we eventually formed and it, it kind of culminated in Worlds 2018 where the three of us were in a hotel room together and we all took top 16 and Joe won that year, you know? So it just felt like a nice journey from that photo and that tournament to three years later where we ended up. Uh, I don't really have any specifics in that story, you know, although I did play lab dogs in an HB deck. And I also remember Jens Erickson and I were kind of slight rivals. He was in a similar geographical region and he ended up winning a world championship. But I think overall, I think my record against him was like 85% win rate in these tournaments, which I appreciated, including in that one in the cut. I think he was playing an NBN kill deck. Do you remember these as Scorched Earth decks, right? He thought he had the kill. He had the shot. Hits me with the Scorched Earth. Probably been thinking if I hit a, an I've had worse, I've got him. Unfortunately, I had two I've had worse. <laughs> and he basically shook my hand after that because he realized... He shot his shot and the shot missed. And I think that was like in top four or top eight. So we had a few good runs like that. So that was another little war story from that tournament I remember. And lab dogs are just like, I mean, when you can get a meme into the top cut of the deck it's, or of a tournament, it's always fun. Any loafs to put in the oven there, Pants? This was at King of Servers at Magnum Opus. The one tournament I've demonstrably actually done kind of well at. I was sort of carried by the team. Wait, you were on a good team? Yes, I was. Cut the feed. It's in the past. It's all behind me now. I was playing Wayland at that tournament, and we were convinced that Wayland was kind of trash. I was on an outfit deck. We actually discussed in the first episode. It has some very questionable calls in it, but overall, it actually did pretty well on the day. There was a game that I was 100% sure I was going to lose, and it was against a deck that I had been memeing on for literally months at that point, Paragon Smoke. <laughs> And Smoke got down the Netmerker and the Paragon, and basically Smoke had the whole rig down. And I had scored the first four points and had like one Atlas counter, but it kind of didn't matter because Smoke had infinite money. We're talking like literally 35 credits or something like that. I didn't have time to put any ice on archives, so the money was still just dripping in turn after turn after turn. And over the course of about three turns, there was something like, oh, okay, I, I jammed something in the remote. It's not really a threatening jam, but they run the remote. And I see, okay, the only way I can possibly win this game at this point, they've got an SMC just sitting there. They can get clawed whenever they want. I have to start running them out of money. I res an archer. They're like, okay, they pay some money to get through archer. I res another archer, go down to two. They're like, oh, okay, pay some more money, get through the other archer. Get to the bottom of the server, it's like a prysec. Next turn, I install advance events. They go through, get all the way through again. I do this enough times where they run through the server enough times that at the end of this whole sequence, I'm sitting on five points. They have officially gotten themselves down to like six credits total. And I'm sitting on zero. Think the game's probably over at this point, right? I spend the Atlas token to grab a sea source. I see the eye raise on the other side. <laughs> this guy have a sea source in his deck for. Click one, too big to fail. Click two, sea source you. Click three, exchange of information for the food that you just stole. <laughs> oh. Oh, that is great. You're thinking you're just straight kill? I forgot yeah. that you had that in that deck. This is the Lobster Modernism deck, isn't it? It's a play on the Lobster Modernism deck because the Lobster Modernism deck would never have those two cards in it. It's way too good of a deck to have those two cards in it. Yeah, you're facing down a meme realized. That's always like a cold sweat just breaks out on you, right? When you're realizing like, oh shit, not only is this a meme that I hate or made, like now I'm facing it and I'm gonna lose. Like it's just yeah. like the karmic wheel spun quick and just smashed you right in the forehead. <laughs> the world has turned and I'm here now. Josh, how about you? Now is the point where I reveal that I actually did good in a tournament once. What the fuck? You gotta scream cut the feed. I'll wait to hear the story and I'll decide if we need to cut the feed. This was one of the last tournaments that I got to go to physically. This was the uh, Madison SC. And I, I want to note that I have never won a store championship. I've never won a regional. And after this tournament, I that was still true. The field was stacked. It had your boy down here, Spags, Joe, all manner of anti-people, people that had top 16 shit, people that had won worlds and... 
I sweep my first two rounds and I'm like, I, I don't have a whole lot of room for losses here. I get paired up against Melvin. I'm playing versus his CTM. I've got this weird shitty Val and an outfit deck, root deck. I ask him if he wants to two for one. He's like, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll two for one. I want to scrub out and like play Pictionary or something. <laughs> like <laughs> whatever, whenever Melvin's doing good at a tournament, he wants to just scrub out and play something else. I don't know why. Melvin and I go way back. We're like sparring partners. Have a decent start on Val, but I start to lose steam pretty quickly. And Melvin only plays CTM. So essentially he crushes me with like a mountain of tags. I lose this game. And so he's like, well, you know, let's play out the second one. We do. I was really practiced on outfit at that point. I crush him in the outfit game, like within a couple of turns. The deck just goes fast, feeds me everything I need. And at the end of that, he goes, you know what? I really don't want to play in the tournament anymore. This is the way that we're going to record it. And I'm going to go play fucking Pictionary or something. I go on to play the guy who's running the tournament, Cranked. Uh, fuck, why can't I remember his real name? <laughs> his real name is Cranked. What are you talking about? He's kind of in the same position where he doesn't have enough wins to get in the cut if he gets swept. I ask him if he wants to two for one, get outfit again. Same thing. He starts off pretty good. It looks like it's actually going to be a game, but at some point he hits a snare and he's like, what the fuck? Why is that in there? And I just go on to crush him. He's like, that is the fourth time that I've done a two for one on stream and lost. Never fucking again. I make the cut. Had a fantastic game versus CTZ. Long story long, I get to the final table with Joe Shupp, reigning world champion at that point. Outfit game isn't really notable. I take him to the, you know, the grand, grand finals. I get this amazing start on Val. I get all the tools I need. He's IG. He's this IG kill combo deck. I'm getting money. I'm crushing his board. Scored agendas. I'm kind of accidentally, because I'm not a very good player, doing pretty much everything that I need to do. On the final turn, my final turn, I do everything that I need to do, which is I put down the breaker that I need, turn into Quetzal, because his only ice in the deck are Cortex Locks and Vanilla. And he's got two ice on Archives. I'm thinking to myself, well, I can try to do this next turn, and I want to keep the cards that I have in my hand. I think I run HQ instead of Archives. I pass turn... He just basically says, okay, that's game. And then he flips a couple of cards. I didn't even have time to register it. He's like, so this, this, and this puts your hand size to this. And then I go, blah, and you're... And then he flips over archives and there's a bacterial programming in there. And it's like, oh, that is my Madison war story right there. Again, long story long. For the length of the story, if nothing else, I'm afraid we have to cut the feed. That's the thing about slums is occasionally we luck our way into actually doing the correct things sometimes. It that happens. is a slumsy move, though, is that, and we've all been there, you see the play, of the, the you read the read, you check with Occam's razor, and then you break Occam's razor in half, throw it in the trash, and say, no, not doing that. And then you're like, oh, yeah, I think that happened when I knocked white out of Worlds one year. I swept him out before the second to final round. And he's like, oh, I should have run archives. I bet you had something there. And I flip it over and I'm like, yeah, there are agendas in there. <laughs> oh, God. And he, uh, he was a little crestfallen. It's one of those things where like you would be better mentally and you'd be more chill if you didn't know. Hmm. But you got to go to the no chill zone and like. Hold up. No chill. Josh, that's a fucking sick pun. What? That's a fucking sick pun. Okay, fine. I can walk you through it. No chill. Chill, chilly, spicy. It's a direct segue to our next segment, Josh. Oh, at this point, I get what you're getting at, but I still don't approve. Well, that's fine. It is time for our next segment. Do you want to introduce our next segment? Our next segment is... Ooh, that's spicy! It's okay. a new one, and I'm not positive that I love the intro, but it's <laughs> fine. It's already done. We can't edit it out. Yeah. Okay. Cut the feed. Cut the feed. <laughs> it's... It's going to, uh... Can I guess gonna... how to So, Spags. Again, this is a segment about you. Spags, 
you, at least in the past, used to be demonstrably good at Netrunner. Way too good to be on Slumscast. Yes, honestly, way too good to be on Slumscast. You've made top whatever in whatever number of tournaments, whatever number of times. We've discussed the fact that you've been accused of prize sniping. You've been the pioneer of entire archetypes, or you've popularized them. And some of these decks have dominated metagames for seasons. For God's sake, you have like 8,000 points on NRDB. That is too many points for you to be on the Slums cast. (laughs) Exactly. The only real saving grace here from the Slums cast perspective is your recent tournament performances. So honestly, to protect the podcast from potential legal liability, we have to ask, are we safe having you here? Are you a single Rocky montage away from winning with APOC or Sunny? God forbid, APOC in Sunny. Or have we reached the old man Rocky and Creed phase of your career? I'd like to think the former, but we may, it may be the latter. <laughs> you know, the problem with the Rocky montage is you still need Rocky still needs a sparring partner. You know, and unfortunately, most of the anti folk are either dormant or have traveled off into the sunset. So, um, and just, yeah, the desire to grind out games to be good, at least even to know the meta has gone down. So yeah, I'm probably just straight wash. So I think I'm, I'm fine to be here. Definitely bombed out of some tournaments in the past, you know, so. You're in good company in that case, because <laughs> I have to ask, seriously, is part of it that we can't go to physical tournaments at this point? Do you think that there'll be a little bit of a revival once we can? I think so. I mean, that's a big part for me. It's just not the same playing online, like gearing up for tournaments and practicing and just testing and grinding a deck online is one thing, but playing these online tournaments, I just lose steam very quickly. The face-to-face is a big part of it. And, you know, I love to read a board state and I love to set my cards down and lean over the table, like using up my half of the table to get close to an opponent, you know, not intimidate, but you know, I just like the physicality the joking. I mean, just not the same online. So for me, that's lost a lot of it. I think it can come back. Don't you? I mean, one of the things that I'm really excited kind of on this topic to see is a lot of people have joined Netrunner during this online only phase. We've got a lot of new players. We've got a lot of players who in the scene, but are now taking it more seriously and are more competitive. My instinct is to say they're going to keep playing when things move back to in-person once that's possible. And I also think that a fair amount of older players are going to come back at that point. I'm actually really excited to see what the competitive scene looks like, what tournaments look like when we have kind of the the union of the old and the new. Uh, Especially if Gateway brings in players like we're hoping it does. Can't tell you much about it, but it is fucking sick. The confluence of the metas will be cool. Mm -hmm. And I think it's kind of gotten more fractured how it was like pre-internet hive mind. So in the early game, it was more of like disparate metas. And when they came together, you had some weird stuff mashing up you know like when men came in 2014 with pe no one in america is really ready for that and these andromeda decks got roasted by it so yeah i'm, I'm between that the new cards and i mean johnny i'm sure they're going to come up with some sick shit knowing them okay so you know the jason statham movie crank where oh, yeah. like he has like a thing in his heart where if his heart gets below a certain number of beats per minute his heart will explode Mm-hmm. The slums cast is like that, but for hot takes. If the number of hot takes per minute gets below a certain level, I die. Whoa, shit. <laughs> dead? Yeah, just straight up dead. <laughs> Not just dead in the slums cast, Lord, dead in real life. So this isn't like cyberpunk where you can go to some gutter fixer. Now, I know people are experimenting with trying to like, you know, put tech into their bodies. Now, where did you get some kind of tech? I assume you had some tech installed for this to happen. Like your brain doesn't register enough hot takes. Like all of a sudden it just scanners and it explodes or what? Honestly, it's not a piece of tech. It's just the fact that I've been on Stim Slack for a while. (laughs) (laughs) It has that effect on the human mind. I think social media and the internet in general was a mistake. So I can understand that. That's an unfortunate byproduct. I was wondering, in the year of 2020 and Netrunner during a pandemic, you kids decide to start a podcast. Seems like probably the worst time to start a Netrunner podcast. I was going to ask why, and maybe now we found the reason. This is the only way you get the hits in your brain to keep it going, right? Like you're not getting enough takes in your hot, spicy takes in your diet. Another reason is just I didn't really have time to do a podcast before now. Same. It's also on brand, if you think about it. The worst possible moves at the worst possible time. Right. It's definitely fitting. And I mean, I initially, when I found it, I'm like, it, it, it seemed like a counter move to a certain other podcast that shall not be named. 
if you want a hot take or a beef inducing take, I'm going to be completely honest with you. I did not know that that podcast existed when we started ours. <laughs> Honestly, it's uh, it's probably for the best. It's probably best <laughs> if you still didn't know that it existed. So, <laughs> I am still not convinced that the Slumscast is safe from legal liability. We need to blast ourselves farther down into the slums, and there's only one real way to do that. It's time for Deck and Bamboozled. Spags, you have brought a deck for us today. Can oh, you gosh. tell us a little bit about it before we actually dive into the deck list? You know, basically, I, I wasn't playing Netrunner heavily in 2020. Not surprising. And yet, I wanted to kind of contribute to the community a little. So I'm like, I want to play in one of these Continentals. And based on the availability, I mean, they had a lot of availability. But based on my personal availability, the only one I could do was the one in Australasia. Basically, it was an overnight tournament for us Americans. I'm like, okay. Gonna take off of work, gonna stay up all night and hell, I'm gonna I'm gonna put it on the stream. No practice for this tournament, nothing. I'm gonna grab some decks. I didn't even know what to play. So we had a local uh, plural who had this the previous world's KKOS 2019 in Amsterdam played this flat deck with APOC and actually really enjoyed it and regretted not playing it worlds. I'm like, I'll I'll tune that up, I'll play that, whatever. And then I took CTZ's Morphling deck, which was the sports metal fast advanced deck playing a merger. So basically I took two meme decks and I'm like, let's see what can happen here. I was one win away from basically, I think being able to ID into the cut because it wasn't a huge tournament. And I made a, a grievous error with the corp deck actually, which we can discuss. But then, uh, and after that I played a little while longer, I was pretty dejected. And I was just saying, I don't think, maybe I, I almost played it through. I think maybe I dropped the final round. So it uh, wasn't a good showing for old Spikes, but uh, <laughs> it was very on brand for 2020. Let's run through the lat deck real quick then. So The first thing I disapprove of is that it's in Shaper. Slumscast is an explicitly anti-Shaper podcast, so I have to, and not just have to, but also want to disapprove of that as well. But it's out of lat. That's already an interesting thing to discuss. Why is this out of lat? Why not a different Shaper? That's a good question. First of all, uh, it's funny with all the inclusion in the community and whatnot, Shaper is still very much maligned, I think almost unfairly. But, you know, Shaper has gotten to the point in where even maybe me and old Shaper had doesn't really care for them. Why lat? I don't know. Think of every other legal shaper ID. What would be better for this deck? Not, I mean, nothing else really comes to mind. And we thought card draw is probably most important for setting up the combo. Right. I guess this particular deck, you're not actually installing very much. So Haley's not huge. Getting into that a little bit, the list, 27 events. I guess that's one of the definite reasons that Haley's not the choice here. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> Let's quickly run through them just so that the folks at home know what's going on here. We've got three Apocalypse, three Deuces Wild, three Diesel, one Harmony AR Therapy, two Notoriety, six Out of the Ashes, three Peace in Our Time, three Sure Gamble, three Maker's Eye. There's a couple calls in here that honestly, I hate to say it, but I kind of love. Three Maker's Eye... I am a person who splashes Maker's Eye in Anarch, so I fully support having three Maker's Eye here, which tells you it's probably the wrong call. <laughs> sure. <laughs> but in all seriousness, what other multi are you going to be on? I mean, Kashuk's never going to fire. There aren't many choices in here. I prefer maybe a little more permanence, but it's in this kind of deck, it's a single access deck, I thought was the idea. And those are just kind of like a well-timed. You know how it is when you get that intuition, like, you know what, this is the Maker's Eye time, especially when you can incorporate it into an Apocalypse. Yeah, I don't know. I can't defend it. The two notoriety, another card that I have splashed in Anarch, so I feel like I shouldn't be able to criticize. Honestly, I kind of like notoriety if there's a lot of GFI. Yeah, you know, especially this deck, this, like I said, once again, single accessing, you're thirsty for points, and there's going to ho hopefully be a time when you can easily pull this off after one of the many apocalypse, right? Now, the six out of the ashes, that's kind of fun. <laughs> Let's talk about out of the ashes. What, what is out of the ashes doing for you? Out of the Ashes is fun. Well, one, you're, it's a meme deck, so you got to have some meme cards in there. It's a consumer-grade event, so already this is a good meme. Without a doubt. Like, we don't have enough good consumer-grade out there or even seen in the wild. Two, you just don't need a lot of crap in this deck. Like, the deck doesn't really have much... It has a focus, for sure, but that's about it. So you need to fill these deck slots with other trash. And three, it does kind of do something. Like, it's an easy discard when you're overdrawing, I feel. And then when you want to go on that ham turn... The hope is maybe you pull off the apocalypse and drop both notoriety in the same turn and get the win. You know, that's the idea. It's a trash card, but I've always had a soft spot for it. Drop an apocalypse as your first click. I'm assuming the piece in our time, you just need that for setup. It would almost be sick to apoc click one to drop 
Stargate, quick three Stargate, quick four, I don't know, run HQ. Or drop the notoriety. There was thought on that. I think the deck is just so light on money that we just felt like it needed something else. It'd also be really sick if you could somehow incorporate without of the ashes equivocation after an APOC. I've been racking my brain and I'm like, how would you even do that? Their board would still have to be clear the next turn. Unfortunately, the ones are not that cold in this deck. Yeah. <laughs> this is more of a lukewarm ones, you know. Uh, yeah, they've been sitting out on the counter for a while and you don't, you'll drink it. You don't really want to, but you'll definitely crack it. And that's how this, you know, playing that runner during a pandemic kind of felt like, it felt like a warm one in general to me. Looking at your installables, we've got three Simulchip, three Aesops, three Beth, Beth Good with the piece, Icebreakers. We've got three N'Golo, two Ika, and then other programs, you've got two Misdirection, two Pelongi. For a deck that pretty much just wants enough accesses to APOC, this makes a lot of sense. How often did you actually have to throw down a second N'Golo or throw down a Pelongi because you'd hit two barriers? Not a ton. Sometimes late game, or sometimes you're just losing the Angolos to the Apox because you're pushing it early. So you, you had sometimes a lot of them flipped over, and it was just more of redundancy in that regard. Or sometimes, like I said, late game, you got to the point where you needed multiples of those, but usually by that point, you're in deep shit and the game is over. So. That was going to be my question looking at this overall deck. It seems like you're really devoted to the APOC plan. It seems like you can pull off an APOC pretty well. What happens if you don't win right after the APOC? You lose. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I realized. So speaking of cold ones, I was a cold one going in with this. You know, you theory crafted. We helped this person build the deck. Never really played it, though. And that's what I realized. To me, the more of the win of the deck was actually just getting the Apox off. It felt like that was like getting the victory points until you realize, like, I've played three Apocalypse. I'm on three points. <laughs> I'm out of money. The deck is gone. Like, you drew it all up. And I'm like, now what? It's like Timmy Wong clicking for credits now, and I can break one piece of ice or two pieces of ice a turn. That's when you realize that the deck was not great and you're going to lose. You know, <laughs> that's where I ended up with this build. Or a damage deck, like you face a Jinteki and you're, you're like, I'm drawing all these cards. And then you're like, they're just a stall deck and the APOC is fun. You know, the APOC is kind of like maybe um, the one night stand, you know, except you're doing three of them here. You feel <laughs> great at the time. You feel fun doing it. And once it's done that next morning, you're like, what did I do? What, where am I? What the hell is going on here? Is and Harmony that something that you ever really played? Did you ever Harmony to APOC a fourth time or... No, you know, I remember that card in playtest, we went through a number of iterations. It was honestly thrown in here as kind of like that last chance of ripcord. Maybe we'll get that fourth apocalypse out of it. Like you said, it rarely came to the point where I needed it. And generally it was just ineffective and just kind of a, a filler slot. You know, it was emblematic of the deck where it's just kind of meh. What would you do to this deck? I mean, would you change it? Would you play a different deck? Can you think of ways to like make it more resilient to the late game problem? Well, I think playing a different deck is definitely in order if you want to win. You know? <laughs> I was honestly hoping for the loose meta and uh, just for the memes and maybe to catch people off guard, this could be fun. And it actually was fairly effective, although I think it had a, a sub-500 record on, that, on the evening. What would I do different? This is a good question. I just think the lack of multi-access ends up hurting it, especially against a stall deck. More money would be good. Like the idea is like maybe the pawn shop was going to give you some long-term money or the best, but I just don't think those were effective enough. So maybe if there was a way, like, honestly, the deck could use Magnum Opus if that were out there. It needs like some permanent long-term money. And I just don't think that's there. So like the Stargate, like you said, that's a great idea. Maybe pulling the piece or the Deuce's Wild for at least one Stargate would be a good idea. Or honestly, maybe one less APOC. I think going ham on the APOC was too too much. And for the meta at the time, it just didn't have a closer against some of these decks. Mm -hmm. Being singular, singularly focused on APOC was probably its failing. <laughs> Funny to see a Shaper deck and hear it has a long-term money problem when I see three Aesop's Pawn Shop in there. But the thing is, you don't have that much to sell. And you have a few things that you turn over when you APOC, and that's about it. It's not a long-term source of money. It's funny how like we think of Shaper is long-term money, Rizeki and all that other stupid crap, you know, but you're right. This is an anti-Shaper in that regard. So you got to give it credit that it's not a, really a Shaper deck in that regard, yeah. right? Yeah, actually, I guess the Slumscast can support it, you know? This is an Apex deck that happens to live in Lad. I have a question that's not directly related to the deck. What do you guys think APOC is better out of? Krim, right? Like with Swift and whatnot? APOC out of Anarch has a long and storied history, and it's very good. And I think it's just because Anarch has a lot of the tools that let you last ditch get into places and let mm -hmm. you 
quickly tear shit up after APOC happens. Yeah, remember when I brought to your tournament, Josh, the uh, Alice APOC as a meme, oh, and it kind of actually, like, the UK, like, embraced it fully. I was shocked. But uh, I would say Anarch is a good spot, but I've seen a lot of it lately in decks just as a one-off, if you don't mind it. I think just it's turning into more of a splash card, which is kind of nice. And in that regard, it can work out of almost any faction. Yeah, I remember seeing, I think it was a Greg Tongue max deck. It was in the period where I was one of the people playing weird labor rights max decks. And it was like the only thing I'd played for the last year or so. And I was on the entirely embezzle, embezzle, embezzle max plan. And Greg Tongue releases this list where it's like, yeah, you've got a one of APOC just because it's fun. Yeah, and that's just the surprise factor, right? Where they're not seeing it all. They're not seeing the setup for it. They're not seeing multiple copies of it. Go to the discard, right? It's just all of a sudden, if it's the right place in the right time, boom, just smash them. And I love it out of Max too, in particular, where like you could mill it early. You can almost get them in the opposite direction where they're like, oh God, I saw APOC. He must be on three of these. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Now you're completely turtling up against APOC and you're like, well, I actually have many other things to do. <laughs> the fear factor. I love that. Like that's why uh, for a bit long time, I went down the two NGO fronts and decks because I was like the idea that like, if they don't see the third of anything, there's always the fear of a third of something. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> Doesn't really help you much on the cut, though. And that, I mean, that's a whole different story. I'm kind of anti-deck sharing and list sharing, but, uh, you know, I get it there for sure. But you got to get to the cut, Josh. After that, who gives a shit? The next segment here. By the way, I appreciate that you have a million segments on the show, too. I think that's <laughs> definitely part of the charm. Ban or nap? Hacktivist beating. Ban. Ban. Fan. Moving on. The next segment, we are unfortunately near the end of our time, so it is time for the closing arguments. Spags, this is a question for you, and it's a very serious question based on very realistic events. Let's say that you've recently been appointed the Netrunner meme czar by Nisei. You were in charge of Netrunner memes. You were allowed to make exactly one proclamation to the Netrunner community about their memes. What would it be? Please note that for the health of my heart, spicy takes are not only welcome, but encouraged. Like I said, I've been a bit out of touch with Netrunner in 2020 and the memes in general, but I do know that something has to be done about redacted. I think he's a little too prolific. I think he's hogging up too much of the meme bandwidth. You know, I think the memes need to be more diversified or more democratic. And we kind of have a heavy tyrannical fist holding the wheel, the meme wheel in the Netrunner community. So I don't know who else is going to step up, but I definitely think we'd have to throttle back the amount of access that redacted to the meme machine. I don't know if that's too spicy or not. What, what I'm hearing here is essentially an argument for antitrust for memes. There you go. Perfectly. Yeah, we have a meme, meme monopoly, if you will. Maybe that's calmed down a bit, but I remember for a while there, it was pretty strong to the point where it's like a fire hose hitting me every morning of Netrunner memes from a single source. At the risk of my own heart health, that is also partially a problem of the rest of the community not stepping up with memes. I think that's something that you'll have to solve as the Netrunner memes are. Yes. Do you think, I mean, being under a pandemic perhaps doesn't help, you know, maybe it's just lowered everyone's morale enough, but Maybe we just have to, you know, Nisei has like a million positions for everything else. The fact that they don't have a memes are is already kind of sad, but maybe we need a whole committee. You know, they seem to be big into this, this corporate structure almost like, you know, it's like maybe then the memes are will have to like actively bring out people, promote it. And, you know, I mean, if you have to use a carrot instead of a stick, that's fine. You know, come up with some cool swag for them on some way to promote meme production. I personally have been very, I mean, you know, you're in the Drill Runner channel. I used to make drill runners all the time. And during pandemic, that drive has just slipped a little bit. Some encouragement here, getting people to make memes definitely will help the overall morale of the entire community, just having more memes out there from, from many sources. I think present company included, we have to, we should always stepping our game up. The, the drill runner though, that's kind of a, the dark web of the net runner meme community. It's not for everyone because drill is definitely not for everyone. No. So I understand that. There were but some so... spicy drills recently that... Are those still being tweeted out or is that account inactive now? Drill Runner itself no longer posts after FFG's cancellation of Netrunner. But if you make a Drill Runner and tweet it and tag Drill Runner, then the account will retweet it. Okay. Okay. That is a good hack, though. We can do a, a daily Drill Runner if we wanted to. If we wanted to step up and up our meme game, we could tweet Drill Runners 
and then you said tag the account. So not just in a, us. Any one of our listeners could do that. In a roundabout way, we can make drill democratic. Oh, wild. Scary. I will warn those of us in our audience who are not familiar with drill that one of two things will likely happen when you encounter drill and you encounter drill runner. Either you will become completely obsessed with it and it will just be a thing that you do a lot, or you will be very confused and wonder why the fuck did I go to this account? I'm never listening to Slums Cast again, which might improve your life. So, you know, that's good. We have reached the end of the episode, so... Just the last few things to say. First of all, if you are not already following the Slums Cast and you liked what you heard here today, then go ahead and follow us. You can find us on just about every major podcast distribution network. If you didn't like what you heard here today, please still follow us. We still need the followers. We have some special thanks to give. In particular, I would like to give special thanks to Spags for being on the podcast. It's been a blast. Thanks. It's been great. And uh, I'd love to come back again. On the other hand, I don't think I will. I was going to say, I think we need to get you back on when we get to in-person tournaments to kind of see, did the slums call the shot or no? Well, that's unfortunate to hear that this will be your last episode. Do you have any shout outs to give before you leave the cast forever? <laughs> well, <laughs> shout out to you guys. Uh, thanks for having me on. It was a great cast. Sorry, I can't come back again. Uh, <laughs> so basically, shout out to you and no one else. I oh. certainly appreciate that. And I'm sure that no one else does. <laughs> yeah. In that case, if you have any questions or comments, we will leave the way to reach us in the show notes. Best ways to reach us are either Stem Slack or Twitter. If you have any concerns, please don't contact us. You're supposed to have them. Thank you for listening. Are we doing this now? Uh, yeah, I believe so. Oh, is noon your time? Oh, yeah. Uh, right. I forgot. Y'all are different time zone. <laughs> no worries. Let me, let me jump uh, on my just got computer. a message from Josh. Let's see if he's... No worries. Let me get on the computer. Cool. All right. I got forgotten to be on a podcast here. Uh, sounds like Josh just woke up, so I think he'll be on ASAP. Um, no worries. That's, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, didn't expect that. <laughs> he, had, he had a bender last night, apparently. Oh, really? That's that's in my head canon. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I believe it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had to bring the uh, big slums energy. I uh, was completely unprepared and forgot about this entirely. If it was a tournament, I would have been, uh, well, I wouldn't have been DQ'd. I wouldn't have been admitted because I would have missed registration, so... <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you just got that first round loss, you know? Yeah. Yeah.